Hello, I'm Melody Holly, and welcome to the Arise podcast. We are introducing a new series called Questions We All Have But Don't Want to Ask in Church. During this series, I hope to shed biblical light on some tough, potentially taboo topics that the church as a whole is perhaps scared to address. This will be a series of conversations with some of my trusted friends and fellow Bible teachers. I pray you will be blessed and encouraged, maybe even a little challenged, as we explore what God has to say about things we're afraid to ask. Please be advised that the first of these conversations is a two-part message featuring author and speaker Maria Durso, in which we discuss sexual trauma. Some of what you are about to hear may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive audiences. Some of Maria's stories and even the biblical narratives we discuss could trigger those with previous traumatic experiences. Because we believe sexual trauma to be a widespread, under-addressed issue in the body of Christ, we felt it necessary to expose these horrors head-on. Well, I want to um, uh, introduce this topic today because what we're talking about um, today is uh, in this second part of questions we all have um, but don't want to ask in church. We're going to address a really heavy, difficult topic to talk about, um, but one that's extremely practical and relevant because um, it affects so many people widespread in the body of Christ. And that's the issue of sexual abuse, um, sexual trauma, um, and really the long-term effects and impacts it has on um, women and men for the rest of their lives. Um, And so I want to read you a couple of these statistics, Maria. Um, One out of four women um, in America are victims of sexual abuse. That's, that's a staggering number that 25% of the women that are listening or watching have experienced sexual abuse at some point in time in their life. And that one out of five women are victims of rape or attempted rape. That is staggering. Um, and then that 93% of sexual abuse victims, they know their abusers. And so um, that has implications for a lot of things that if 25% of you have um, experienced sexual trauma or abuse, um, and we know that abuse is vastly underreported um, because of all the things that um, the impacts that happen to uh, abuse victims when they do come forward, um, the stigma, the disbelief, the blame game. And so, um, so the reality is not only are those listening potentially have been, a lot of them have been affected by sexual abuse, have been sexually abused or raped, um, but they could even be continually exposed to their perpetrators, um, whether it's a family member or a close friend. And so um, this is not an easy topic that we're going to sort of step into, but I think that it's an extremely necessary one. I know you've been, you and your husband have been pastoring for years. And so um, part of my, I guess, PTSD, <laughs> maybe of pastoring is some of the counseling that I've, I've done through the years. Um, and, and I mean, this, these statistics, don't you, you find that um, they hold up to my personal anecdotal experience with women that, um, I've counseled so many women molested, raped by a family member um, or a close friend, and uh, really it has impacted even the way that I parent my kids now because I have this sort of, sort of fear or trepidation um, with even you know sleepovers or who I'll allow to keep them. Um, it's, it's really impacted me because I've seen how prevalent it really is in the body of Christ. All the time, so many women... Um, I mean, one out of four, that's staggering, but I even think that it's more. I really do. And we're going to talk about um, a lot of that, too, and and even experiences maybe we are afraid to acknowledge. Um, So this will be a two-part 
conversation that we have because it's really too much to probably unpack in, um, in one conversation. But the reason I asked uh, Pastor Maria to join me for this conversation is because um, uh, not in a uh, making light or making fun of anything, but I have said that I think the Pastor Maria is a buffet of suffering that basically that anything that could happen to I almost anything that could happen to someone has happened to to you. I feel like your story, you have um, one of the most um, incredible, um, incredibly difficult stories to listen to and testimonies to listen to, um, but also incredibly beautiful and watching the way that the Lord has redeemed um, and made the most of your pain um, and, and used it for the spreading of the gospel and for the healing of many, many uh, of those who have encountered things like you have. Um, and so why don't you share your story and your experience with sexual abuse um, growing up as a kid? So um, my mother died pregnant with me uh, she was five months pregnant, and uh, this is 1950. There's no such term as single-parent households. Um, the day my mother died, my father basically died. Uh, he, he had no clue what to do with me. His best friend was a glass of scotch. He would look out the window, cry for my mother. So what was he going to do? So uh, being Catholic, my father decides to put me in a religious boarding school. Now, in this school, the other little girls, they went home every weekend. They had mothers and fathers, so it wasn't an orphanage. But when my father brought me there at two and a half, he basically took me out of the car with my little suitcase. He bent down and he looked at me and he said, Maria, I'll come and see you when I can. And that was very few and far between. And when those convent doors opened, everything my father thought was going to happen, I was going to bond with women. I had no women in my life. I was going to be taught about God. I was going to be cared for and loved on. But really the opposite happened. In this place, I became fair game. They knew that no one was going to check up on me. So I'm in this place, and I'm left-handed. I'm constantly put in a tub of very hot water, told that I'm a child of the devil. Um, I was told I had no mother because God didn't think I deserved one. The other little children, they went home every weekend, and when they came back, they would open their suitcases, smelt like love, and they looked at what their mommies and daddies gave them, and they looked at me as if to say, you don't have that. But I wasn't looking at the things they had. I was looking at the lipstick mark on their cheek because I knew that they were protected, that they weren't being put in a tub of hot water or told those heinous things. But I also knew that when they left, I was brought into a room I was given a, a glass of wine, a little shot glass of wine. I was two and a half years old, up until 10 years old. And I would wake up in bed on those weekends and in the summer, because I was left there all summer, naked in bed with someone that represented God, and they were naked. And I remember having night terrors. I remember running up and down the dormitory aisles 
and taking shampoo as though it was holy water and just putting it all over all the beds because there was such evil in that place. But when my father discovered the abuse, and of course I never told him about the sexual abuse, he showed up when I was 10 years old and he came in increments. I don't want to say he never came, but when he did come, they would say to me, you better not tell him what's happening, Maria, because you're a child of the devil and he doesn't want you anyway. So when my father did come and pick me up, he'd say, how's everything, Maria? I'd say, fine, daddy, just fine. And basically, that's the sentence I learned to live with. Anything that happened to me was always fine. I would kind of swallow it and, 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 and shove it down and never deal with it. So when I got out of the boarding school, uh, my father had shown up one day and I had marks on me. I had black and blues because I would be punched in the face. So, so I had these physical marks, but the internal marks that I had were so much worse than a black eye. So I, I, I get out of the boarding school and now I, I, I live in this very tough area. And uh, I told the story how when I went to the school, it was a co-ed school and the girls hated me because the boys liked me. 10 years old, I was chased home every day, got into a fist fight with the girls. They were like Philistines. They were big girls and I go to hit the girl. I don't know how to fight then. And my thumb snaps back with my left hand. I hold my blouse closed and, and, and my, I couldn't go home and tell my father my thumb was broken because he was too busy crying over my mother looking out the window and drinking his glass of scotch and my thumb had to heal on its own. And I oftentimes say there, there are things in our life they've never been set right mm -hmm. and they've had to heal on, on their own. And, and every time to this day, I'm 69 years old and, and my thumb still swells up. It's never been set right. But God wants to set things in our life right. But we got to give those things to him. As he puts his finger on them, we can't pretend they didn't have happen because they'll never be healed unless we hand them over to him. So when I was 10 years old, I decide to play hooky with a boy. And we go to a movie theater. It's no longer there. It was in the village in Manhattan. And, um, you know, we're dumb kids. And in those days in the movie theater, there were always police officers. And me and the boy, we're kissing. We're, we don't know how to kiss. We're kind of kissing. And I'm trying to act older than I am. I guess I am older than I am in my mind because of all the stuff I went through that I really didn't acknowledge. I kind of thought it was normal, I think. So I'm kissing the boy, and the police officer walks down the aisle of the movie theater, and he says, the manager wants to see you. So we go into the manager's office, and he starts to ask for our names and phone numbers. And I'm petrified. I just got out of this boarding school. I don't want to go back. I know my father really can't handle me. I know he doesn't really want me. So 
I just start crying and I say, please, please, I'll do anything. But I didn't know what anything entailed. So they asked the, the police officer already left. He was not part of this. And the manager was a big fat man. I'll never forget. He asked the boy to leave. And I'm left in the room with that manager. And he takes my head. And he takes out his private part. I didn't even know what was going on. And he sodomized me. And he was smacking me around. And he made me swallow what he did to me. And he looked at me and he said, you better not tell anybody. Because I'm going to mail that letter to your father and tell him that you were playing hooky. And I remember leaving that movie theater and wiping my mouth, stuffing it like I've stuffed everything else. And the boy was waiting for me on the corner. And he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And every day I lived in fear. I ran to that mailbox because I thought that that man was going to write that letter. Imagine he victimized me and he victimized me every single day, probably till I was 17 years old for fear that, that I was, that I was in the wrong. And that's what happens when we're sexually abused. Some, somehow we put ourselves in the position, well, I shouldn't have played hooky and I shouldn't have played hooky. But that man should have never done what he did to me. But I thought he had a right to do what he did to me because I played hooky. When I was probably 14 years old, I was attempted rape. I was walking home and it was raining. And at the time, uh, on, on the area where I lived, before a building went up, it was an empty lot. And this man grabbed me and he started to pull my pants down. But I took my umbrella and I just swacked him across that head and a, and a car came around the corner and it's light shone. And um, I just ran for my life. And then when I was going to high school, uh, every day I would walk down the subway steps and every day this man would come up the steps and he would grab me in my, on my behind. And finally, I got so fed up one day, I took my school bag, and as I passed him on the steps, I turned around and I took my school bag and I just knocked him and he went tumbling down the steps. But see, by then I got so hardened and I never thought to report it because I kind of thought this was normal. This is what every young girl goes through. Another time I was on the train and someone literally ejaculated on the back of my coat. So it was all of those things. And I know I wasn't the only one that this, this was a common occurrence in New York City. This was something that was unfortunately normal. And as a young girl, you had no voice. You, you couldn't say anything. Now these things, they would be on captured on video or or, you know, the news would be at, the, at that perpetrator's door. But we were the silent majority, really. We were the ones that were kept, you know, 
and, and, and made to feel like it was our fault. That just like women today, it's made to feel like it's their fault. Well, why were you walking outside at one o'clock in the morning? That doesn't give anybody a right to do, to, to rape somebody or molest them. Wow. I mean, it's hard to even um, know where to start or to listen. And I, first of, I just want to say I'm sorry. And, um, you know, uh, right before we started this conversation, you and I prayed, as we've done many times before we minister together and asking the Lord, I asked the Lord to continue to use your pain, um, little Maria's pain, um, for his glory and for the healing of many lives. And I know he's already done that. Um, but I want to unpack a few things that you mentioned. Um, I love how you said about your thumb and God setting things right, which is why we're bringing this um, uncomfortable. It's, it's hard to listen to this. It's hard to imagine, um, you know, our little girls that are our daughters that are that age. Um, it brings it to a whole um, different level of pain when you imagine how small we really are, even though we feel bigger. Um, I think all of us feel older than we are when we're teenagers. We look yeah. back. I did not feel 10 and I was only 10. And we look back at experiences in our lives that um, maybe sometimes until we're adults, because it was our only frame of reference at the time. Um, and because we feel so much older in our heads, um, it takes us being adults to really realize, to look back on a childhood experience and think that was wrong, that was traumatic, and it has impacted me. And so until we talk about it, it's not so that we relive trauma um, or to re-expose ripping off a Band-Aid, but we have to set things right to allow them to truly heal. Um, and not to mention that silence is the abuser's friend. Um, it's the, the enabler of the abuser. And so us addressing these things, not just for our own healing, but for the, the safety and well-being of the next generation of girls who have women ahead of them that are courageous enough to talk about this and to give a voice um, to those who are being threatened with abuse or who are abu being abused now or who were abused. Um, and so that's why we, we bring this up. It's again, not because it's comfortable or because we enjoy talking about it, but because it's necessary um, for true healing to set things right. So, um, so Maria, one of the questions I want to ask you about this is um, first of all, do you feel like this, um, how, so it's been um, many, many years since these um, collective traumatizing experiences have happened to you. Um, do you feel like it still has an impact on you today? Do you mind sharing your age? And do you feel like it still has an impact on you today? And how so if it does? Well, um, I don't think I feel that now, but I did feel it for a long time. So let me explain. Um, so I, I wasn't really sexually promiscuous because of the things that happened to me. I was very fearful of boys and, um, and, and sex. And I felt when anybody was trying to make out with me, I looked at it as getting over on me, but, uh, I did end up meeting a man, Michael Gerso. And I was probably 20 years old. Now, I had boyfriends in the past, and I did make out with them, but I really didn't, you know, have sexual intercourse with them. I did have, you know, petting and all of that wasn't right. But um, 
I guess you do that as a teenager. You feel like that's what you're supposed to do. I can't really say I enjoyed it. But then I meet Michael Gerso, and he's my boyfriend, and I fall in love with him. And, and of course, now we start to have sex. But at this time, I'm not saved. I'm always high. You know, I, you know, I did a lot, a lot of drugs. Uh, every day I was on some sort of drug or other. And um, so having sex with him, uh, you know, was just part of what I did. I got high. I had sex. I loved him. Uh, and then we get saved. And now we're living together at the time. We get saved. And now we get married. And all of a sudden, I'm not high anymore. And I am having sex with my husband. We're making love. But for me, I became so frigid. And I couldn't reconcile in my mind why something that was so wrong now becomes right. How something unholy now by God is holy. And now I, I can't even figure out why I'm so frigid. Because those memories of the past, I shoved them down so, so deep. I, I, I just would say to myself, God, I, I wish I love him, but I wish sex wasn't a part of marriage, which of course is the most heartbreaking thing, especially to a man, because sex to a man is saying, I love you. It's, it's when we refuse our husband, it's like saying, I don't love you. It would be like him coming home and saying from work and saying, I like you, but I don't love you. Those words would kill us. But that action to a man is actually saying, I love you. And so I was so frigid. I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. So I go through a series of, of, of things of God coming now to get a hold of my life. So the first thing that happens to me is I'm walking through a restaurant and I can't understand why I can't stand the smell of wine. I don't remember what's happened to me as a child. You had no memory of it at all? I didn't. I, I didn't then. But now, I, you know, now years have passed, like two or three years. I'm married. I'm frigid. I'm dreading making love to my husband. I, I want it to be over and done with. I, I can't understand what's wrong with me. My husband's beautiful. He's gentle. He's kind. He's clean. He's, he's everything. I adore him. I just didn't, I thought that maybe I was asexual. I thought that, that there was something wrong with me. I was a freak. So I'm walking through the restaurant and I smell wine and I think to myself, why do I hate the smell? And then I get a flashback. 
it happens to me in microseconds. I get a flashback of me being a little girl, two and a half, in this room. I remember the room and given a shot glass. And as I got older, the glass got bigger. And then I would wake up in bed and I would be naked. So I had to give this to God. This is the beginning of me being healed. This is the beginning of me admitting that now I remember being sodomized. And it's a horrible, horrible memory. And um, I remember crying uncontrollably because I felt like it was my fault. If I didn't play hooky, this wouldn't have happened to me. And then I, I started to relate to so many things that were my fault I, I, or thinking they were my fault. I remember crying in this, you know, unbelievable, like, heaving, like, thinking that my mother died giving birth to me pregnant, that it was my fault that she had a brain tumor. So I start to deal with all this stuff that I put on myself that was really never my fault. I didn't give my mother a brain tumor. You know, I didn't give her cancer. And I just start. So a few years pass, we're married, and God is starting to deal with me. Um, I did talk to another, uh, at the time I wasn't in the ministry. Uh, I loved the Lord. Uh, I did talk to somebody. I remember another time we went to this um, conference and a Miss America, a former uh, Miss America had spoken about her abuse. And I remember now the abuse. And I excuse myself. It was in a hotel, and it was in a, um, a reception uh, hall. And I excused myself from the, 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 the meeting. I mean, I'm heaving. I'm embarrassed. I get in the elevator, and another woman follows me and starts to cry about her abuse. Wow. And we go to my room, and I remember thinking, God, can I cry in peace? At that time, we just went in the ministry. But I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, you ministering to other people is, has been your salvation. You pouring your heart out to them has been the very thing that has kept you from losing your mind. So, um, so now this whole thing with the Miss America happens and I'm starting to just have these memories and realize I'm not a freak, that things did happen to me, that it's not my fault. And then one night, it was my husband's birthday, we went out to this French restaurant and he has a box and he gives me this beautiful box and he says, this is what I want for my birthday. And I opened the box, and it's this beautiful negligee. It was just the most beautiful thing. And he says, this is all I want, Maria. I want you. And I remember thinking, God, anything else but this. 
So he doesn't know how I feel. He doesn't know anything. I don't share all my experiences with him. I'm too ashamed. So we go home, and my husband goes upstairs, and I stay in the living room, and I have the box. And I get on my knees by my couch, same house. This is going back um, 30, maybe 32 years ago. And I start to weep. And I said, God, what's wrong with me? And I go through a series of memories. And as I'm remembering, I feel like chains coming off my body. I cannot even explain to you. I have this encounter with God that's so... And I just... Like, I just feel free. And I go up, and I put on that negligee, and I make love with, to my husband. And he says to me, what happened to you? And I said, the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can set us free. And he wants to be involved even in the most intimate part of our life. Because truthfully, sex, making love, in your marriage is spiritual warfare, right? The Bible says come together often lest the devil come in and tempt you. You only stop for a time that you're both in agreement, prayer and fasting, but then come together because you know men are wired. Their way of receiving love is through sex. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know how a man was wired. I didn't know about testosterone. I didn't know about all that stuff. But God started to show me that in order to seal my marriage, I needed to start to pray every day. Stop watching shows about making men like sport, uh, degrading them. Stop listening to shows where women want to over, be overbearing to men, uh, don't have friendships, uh, and don't listen to religion that makes sex a terrible thing. It's a God thing. And God, through those events, started to heal me. And I will say this. I'm married 45 years, and I still pray, God, give me a desire for my husband. Because that's the godly way to, to have a relationship. But these things have to be dealt with. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, first of all, I think it's beautiful. And I think the way that the Lord, um, I feel like almost gives us grace when we don't realize, uh, I think there's a season where we have grace after we go, th when we go through trauma, we're almost disassociated with it. And I think we subconsciously do this as a coping mechanism. We block things out, um, which maybe gives us a little bit of grace, but you can only stuff so long before you're triggered. Um, and, and so the smell of wine, the, 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 seeing the box, and I don't think it's just physical intimacy where this hurts in marriage, but I see even um, just in pastoring and, uh, and, and the friends around me who have been sexually abused, um, how certain things will trigger them 
Um, you know, I think about a trigger, I think about even if I have a, a wound um, on my side and I guard that side, um, and I may not even be aware that it's there unless I, that there's a wound there unless someone comes near it, brushes up against it, and then I get guarded. Um, and really even scriptures could, could potentially trigger that there's a wound that hasn't been dealt with. Um, so I see this manifest not just in physical intimacy issues in marriage with women, but even with issues with authority or distrust with authority, issues um, with bitterness against God and the church and or God himself and um, you know, turning to, uh, I don't believe there's a God and if he's such a good God, these are all triggers. This is behavior that shows there's a wound. This is when you talk about this, it brushes up against a wound that I haven't truly dealt with. And so, um, and so we, we look at this and we see if I don't deal with this wound that's got me guarded, it's not just going to affect me. It's going to affect those that I love. It's going to affect my husband. It's going to affect my marriage. It's going to affect my children. Um, the way I communicate to my children about men or about um, male figures or the, uh, way, the way I communicate to if you're abused by someone in even clergy members, which is unfortunately extremely common especially in uh, in smaller churches uh, uh where people have been uh, a lot of the women that i've counseled have been abused their abusers were um deacons members you know older men that would drag them in the back room in a church um some of the, the things that um you know that i've this the stories i've personally heard that i mean it's it's impossible beyond the grace of god not to leave unscathed and to not start to view God or the church in a marred way until we deal with this issue. Um, and so, uh, so it's beautiful to see that, you know, through the grace of God, that he brings this back, that he shows, he allows us to be triggered so that he can deal with the wound. Wouldn't you say that? Right. You know, in the Old Testament, the priest was not allowed to minister if he had an open sore, because when he put on his priestly guards, if he brushed against anybody, he would bleed through the, his garment and he would defile the garment. And that's why it's so important that this process of sanctification, this process of being made whole, that we would not ignore those things or hold on to them, but give them to God so that he could heal our wounds, so that we could be competent ministers of the gospel, we have to admit that these things have happened to us, not make more of them than that we should, that we victimize ourselves over. But God is the God of the brokenhearted. God is the one that wants to heal those wounds. He wants to turn those ashes into beauty. God wants to, you know, those garments of despair into garments of praise. So, you know, we have to give those things over to God. And I, I also think that things we think were normal when we were younger, they were not normal. I really want to talk about that. And I know we're coming to a close on this particular episode. So um, we're going to pray for the women and we're actually going to go ahead and record that episode in just a few minutes. Um, um, but we're going to talk about and address next month. How do I, you know, what does scripture say about sexual abuse? Does it talk about it? Um, what is, what does uh, God have to say about the issue? Um, and how do I deal with it? How do I process it? Because it is a process. It's not a, um, you know, what, you know, there is a, an element of deliverance 
deliverance of God healing supernaturally. But um, the trigger system mentally, especially when you are um, traumatized, when you are, you're, you know, those, those synapses in your brain are still firing. When you're a little, a little kid, you're still developing um, your worldview. You're supposed to be living in a secure environment where you're protected by those who love you, that you're loved and nurtured. And when that's interrupted mentally, cognitively by trauma, especially when the abuser is someone that you should have been able to trust, um, it disrupts um, even the patterns of the way that you behave um, long term. And so um, while the deliverance may come suddenly for some, um, really how we process and live that out, it's progressive, it's sanctification, it's renewing our mind with the washing of the water of the word. So I want to continue to talk uh, this conversation. I want to talk about guilt and shame um, and how to deal with guilt and shame and compartmentalizing. Um, and so we'll save that for the next episode. But Maria, Pastor Maria, will you, will you pray for us as we close? Maybe there's someone who this conversation in and of itself that's, that's listening has triggered them and they're very emotional. Maybe they are like you were in that elevator right now. Um, would you mind to pray that the grace of God would cover them as they start this journey of healing? This is probably, I would say, the, the most difficult part is this portion of their healing, the, the initial rubbing, taking the bandaid off and just let me look at it. When the Lord says, just let me look at this one, just let me look. And you have to acknowledge that that's festering. Um, and so I'm, I want to be sensitive to the fact that there are many that are listening and watching, and this is where they are. They are Maria in the elevator. Would you mind to pray for them and to give them some, some encouragement as we close? I just want to say this, uh, feelings or memories buried alive, never die. They have to come to the surface. And when they come to the surface, it's the most painful, but it's the best thing that can happen to you. Father, I thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted and you desire truth in the inward parts. And I thank you, God, that you do not leave us with those wounds inside that are constantly festering and constantly sabotaging our future. Lord, I pray for the woman who is dealing right now with facing that trauma. I am asking, Holy Spirit, that you would be close to her right now, Lord, and that you would just start to bring her, hold her hand and bring her on that journey where she might be made whole in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, that's your desire for us, that we would be made whole and well and therefore able to stand and believe your word for ourselves and for others in the name of Jesus. Do mighty things, we pray, through these, through these conversations. Do in Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Maria, thank you so much for your vulnerability. I know that's not easy to share and your courage to share your testimony. And um, for those listening and watching, we just want to tell you that we're um, that uh, we are praying for you and believing for complete and total deliverance and freedom. It's not a hypothesis. It's not something that, that we are theorizing that freedom is possible. We are confidently saying that through Christ, that this is possible to walk in complete freedom, even after sexual trauma and abuse. Um, and so we're going to continue this conversation. We encourage you to check back for part two um, and to know that you are loved, um, that you are 
um, uh, that we are believing God for your complete deliverance and healing and, um, and that, that the love of the Father would surround you and comfort you right now um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to part one of this series of conversations entitled Questions We All Have But Don't Want to Ask in Church. Girls, I know this topic was heavy and may leave you a little disturbed. It's tough when light is shed on darkness, but it's necessary. Necessary for healing, necessary for prevention for a whole generation of children who we have the responsibility to protect. So as heavy as this is, I want to encourage you to be sure to tune back in for part two, because Maria and I specifically discuss where to go from here. How do we process sexual trauma? Can we truly heal from it? What do we learn from rape stories in the scriptures? You definitely want to tune back in. I believe it will be a hopeful conclusion to a needed discussion. Thank you again for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to these Arise podcast. Give us a review if you are blessed by it and share it with a girl who may need to be encouraged. Thanks again for listening.